This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have you been thinking about LASIK but not sure if you're a candidate? Just go to LASIK.com slash quiz and take our free candidacy quiz. In just a few minutes, you'll know if LASIK is likely right for you. And if it is, we'll connect you with experienced LASIK doctors in your area. Start your journey towards 2020 vision. Take our free candidacy quiz at LASIK.com slash quiz. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Hello, this is Let's Talk About Myths, baby, and I am here continuing on with our very fun, very ridiculous reading of the Argonautica. Ugh, it's getting really good. You know, we're getting closer and closer to our girl, and fine, the Argonautica is not about her, but still. I'm looking forward to it. Also, I think what gets lost in all the Jason and Medea of it all is the sort of epic nature of the trip, the the journey with the Argonauts on their way to Colchis. And so we really get to dive into that in this very fun reading of a very old and stuffy translation. But what can you do? To remind you where we left off... The Argonauts had just gotten through those clashing rocks, one of their more dangerous encounters, and stopped once more on a stretch of land. This one, the land of the Mariandini. This is The Argonautica by Apollonius, Book 2, Part 
3, translated by R.C. Seaton. Not long had they come unmarked by Lycus, the lord of that land, and the Mariandini they, the slayers of Amicus, according to the report, which the people heard before. But for that very deed they even made a league with the heroes, and Polyduces himself they welcomed as a god, flocking from every side, since for a long time had they been warring against the arrogant Bebrycians, and so they went up all together into the city, and all that day with friendly feelings made ready a feast within the palace of Lycus, and gladdened their souls with converse. Ison's son told him the lineage and name of each of his comrades, and the behests of Peleus, and how they were welcomed by the Lemnian women and all that they did at the Dolionian Caesius, and how they reached the Mycenaean land and Caius, where, sore against their will, they left behind the hero Heracles. And he told the saying of Glaucus, and how they slew the Bebrycians and Amicus, and he told of the prophecies and afflictions of Phineas, and how they escaped the Chianian rocks, and how they met with Leto's son at the island. And as he told all, Lycus was charmed in soul with listening, and he grieved for Heracles left behind, and spoke as follows among them all. O oh, friends, what a man he was, from whose help you have fallen away as you cleave your long path to Aetes. For well do I know that I saw him here in the halls of Daskalus, my father, when he came hither on foot through the land of Asia, bringing the girdle of warlike Hippolyta. And me he found with the down just growing on my cheeks. And here, when my brother Priolus was slain by the Mycenaeans, my brother, whom ever since the people lament with most piteous dirges, he entered the lists with Titius in boxing and slew him, mighty Titius, who surpassed all the youths in beauty and strength, and he dashed his teeth to the ground. Together with the Mycenaeans he subdued beneath my father's sway the Phrygians also, who inhabit the land next to us, and he made his own the tribes of the Bithynians and their land, as far as the mouth of Rebus and the peak of Colony, and beside them the Paphlagonians of Pelops yielded just as they were, even all those round whom the dark water of Belias breaks. But now the Babrycians and the insolence of Amicus have robbed me, since Heracles dwells far away, for they have long been cutting off huge pieces of my land until they have set their bounds at the meadows of deep-flowing Hypeus. Nevertheless, by your hands have they paid the penalty, and it was not without the will of heaven, I trow, that he brought war on the Babrycians this day." he the son of Tyndareus, when he slew that champion. Wherefore, whatever requital I am now able to pay, gladly I will pay it, for that is the rule for weaker men when the stronger begin to help them. So with you all and in your company, I bid Daskalus my son follow, and if he goes, you will find all men friendly that you meet on your way through the sea, even to the mouth of the river Thermodon, 
And besides that, to the sons of Tyndarius will I raise a lofty temple on the Asherusian height, which all sailors shall mark far across the sea and shall reverence. And hereafter for them will I set apart outside the city, as for gods, some fertile fields of the well-tilled plain. Thus, all day long they reveled at the banquet. But at dawn they hied down to the ship in haste, and with them went Lycus himself, when he had given them countless gifts to bear away, and with them he sent forth his son from his home. And here his destined fate smote Idmon, son of Abbas, skilled in soothsaying, but not at all did his soothsaying save him, for necessity drew him on to death. For in the mead of the reedy river there lay, cooling his flanks and huge belly in the mud, a white-tusked boar, a deadly monster, whom even the nymphs of the marsh dreaded, and no man knew it. But all alone he was feeding in the wide fell. But the son of Abbas was passing along the raised banks of the muddy river, and the boar from some unseen lair leapt out of the reedy bed and charged, gashed his thigh and severed in two the sinews and the bone. And with a sharp cry the hero fell to the ground, and as he was struck his comrades flocked together with answering cry. And quickly Peleus with his hunting spear aimed at the murderous boar as he fled back into the fen, and again he turned and charged, but Idas wounded him, and with a roar he fell impaled upon the sharp spear." and the boar they left on the ground just as he had fallen there. But Idmon, now at the last gasp, his comrades bore to the ship in sorrow of heart, and he died in his comrades' arms. And here they stayed from taking thought for their voyaging and abode in grief for the burial of their dead friend, and for three whole days they lamented, and on the next they buried him with full honours, and the people and King Lycus himself took part in the funeral rites. And, as is the due of the departed, they slaughtered countless sheep at his tomb. And so a barrow to this hero was raised in that land, and there stands a token for men of later days to see, the trunk of a wild olive tree, such as ships are built of, and it flourishes with its green leaves a little below the Asherusian headland. And if, at the bidding of the muses, I must tell this tale outright, Phoebus strictly commanded the Boeotians and the Nisaeans to worship him as guardian of their city and to build their city round the trunk of the ancient wild olive. But they, instead of the god-fearing Iolid Idmon, at this day honor Agamestor. Who was the next that died? For then a second time the heroes heaped up a barrow for a comrade dead, for still are to be seen two monuments of these heroes. The tale goes that Typhus, son of Hagnius, died, nor was it his destiny thereafter to sail any further. But him there on the spot a short sickness laid to rest far from his native land, when the company had paid due honours to the dead son of Abbas. And at the cruel woe they were seized with unbearable grief, for when, with due honours, they had buried him also hard by the seer, they cast themselves down in helplessness on the seashore silently, closely wrapped up, and took no thought for meat or drink, and their spirit drooped in grief, for all hope of return was gone, and in their sorrow they would have stayed from going further had not Hera 
kindled it exceeding courage in Ancaeus, whom near the waters of Imbrasus Astipelia bore to Poseidon. For especially he was skilled in steering, and eagerly did he address Peleus. Son of Iacus, is it well for us to give up our toils and linger on in a strange land? Not so much for my prowess in war did Jason take me with him on in quest for the Golden Fleece, far from Parthenia, as for my knowledge of ships. Wherefore, I pray, let there be no fear for the ship, and so there are here other men of skill, of whom none will harm our voyaging, whomsoever we set at the helm. But quickly tell forth all this, and boldly urge them to call to mind their task." Thus he spoke, and Peleus's soul was stirred with gladness, and straightway he spoke in the midst of all. My friends, why do we thus cherish a bootless grief like this? For those two have perished by the fate they have met with, but among our host are steersmen yet, and many a one. Wherefore let us not delay our attempt, but rouse yourselves to the work and cast away your grief. And in reply Aeson's son addressed with helpless words, Son of Iacus, where are these steersmen of thine? For those whom we once deemed to be men of skill, they even more than I are bowed with vexation of heart. Wherefore I forebode an evil doom for us, even as for the dead. If it shall be our lot neither to reach the city of Phalaetes, nor ever again to pass beyond the rocks to the land of Hellas, but a wretched fate will enshroud us here ingloriously till we grow old for naught. Thus he spoke, but Ancaeus quickly undertook to guide the swift ship, for he was stirred by the impulse of the goddess. And after him Erginus and Nauplius and Euphemus started up eager to steer, but the others held them back, and many of his comrades granted it to Ancaeus. So on the twelfth day they went aboard at dawn, for a strong breeze of westerly wind was blowing. And quickly with the oars they passed out through the river Asheron and, trusting to the wind, shook out their sails, and with canvas spread far and wide they were cleaving their passage through the waves in fair weather. And soon they passed the outfall of the river Calichorus, where, as the tale goes, the Nicene son of Zeus, when he had left the tribes of the Indians and came to dwell at Thebes, held revels and arrayed dances in front of a cave, wherein he passed unsmiling sacred nights, from which time the neighbors call the river by the name of Calichorus, and the cave Aulion. Next they beheld the barrow of Sthenelus, Actor's son, who on his way back from a valorous war against the Amazons, for he had been the comrade of Heracles, was struck by an arrow and died upon the sea beach. And for a time they went no further, for Persephone herself sent forth the spirit of Actor's son, which craved with many tears to behold men like himself, even for a moment." and mounting on the edge of the barrow he gazed upon the ship such as he was when he went to war and round his head a fair helm with four peaks gleamed with its blood-red crest and again he entered the vast gloom and they looked and marvelled and mopsus son of ampicus with word of prophecy urged them to land and propitiate him with libations Quickly they drew sail and threw out hawsers, and on the strand paid honour to the tomb of Sthenelus, and poured out drink offerings to him, and sacrificed sheep as victims. 
And besides the drink offerings, they built an altar to Apollo, savior of ships, and burnt thigh bones, and Orpheus dedicated his lyre, whence the place has the name of Lyra. And straightway they went aboard as the wind blew strong, and they drew the sail down and made it taut to both sheets. Then Argo was borne over the sea swiftly, even as a hawk soaring high through the air commits to the breeze its outspread wings and is borne on swiftly, nor swerves in its flight, poising in the clear sky with quiet pinions. And lo, they passed by the stream of Parthenius as it flows into the sea, a most gentle river, where the maid, daughter of Leto, when she mounts to heaven after the chase, cools her limbs in its much-desired waters. Then they sped onward in the night without ceasing, and passed Sesimus and lofty Erethene, Crobialis, Cromna, and woody Chytorus, Next they swept round Caramdis at the rising of the sun, and plied the oars past long Aegeus all day and on through the night. And straightway they landed on the Assyrian shore, where Zeus himself gave a home to Sinope, daughter of Asipus, and granted her virginity, beguiled by his own promises. For he longed for her love, and he promised to grant her whatever her heart's desire might be. And she, in her craftiness, asked him virginity, and in like manner she deceived Apollo, too, who longed to wed her, and beside them the river Halys, and no man ever subdued her in love's embrace. And there the sons of noble Dimachus of Tricca were still dwelling, Dileon, Autilicus, and Phlogius, since the day when they wandered far away from Heracles. And they, when they marked the array of chieftains, went to meet them and declared in truth who they were, and they wished to remain there no longer. But as soon as Argestes blew, went on shipboard. And so with them, borne along by the swift breeze, the heroes left behind the river Halus, and left behind his that flows hard by, and the delta land of Assyria." And on the same day they rounded the distant headland of the Amazons that guards their harbor. Here once when Melanippe, daughter of Ares, had gone forth, the hero Heracles caught her by ambuscade, and Hippolyta gave him her glistening girdle as her sister's ransom, and he sent away his captive unharmed. In the bay of this headland, at the outfall of Thermodon, they ran ashore, for the sea was rough for their voyage. No river is like this, and none sends forth from itself such mighty streams over the land. If a man should count every one, he would lack but four of a hundred, but the real spring is only one. This flows down to the plain from lofty mountains, which, men say, are called the Amazonian Mountains. Thence it spreads inland over a hilly country straight forward, where from its streams go winding on, and they roll on this way and that evermore, wherefore best they can reach the lower ground, one at a distance and another near at hand. And many streams are swallowed up in the sand and are without a name, but mingled with a few, the main stream openly bursts with its arching crest of foam into the inhospitable Pontus." And they would have tarried there and have closed in battle with the Amazons, and would have fought not without bloodshed, for the Amazons were not gentle foes and regarded not justice, those dwellers on the Deontinian plain. 
but grievous insolence and the works of Ares were all their care, for by race they were the daughters of Ares and the nymph Harmonia, who bare to Ares war-loving maids. Wedded to him in the glens of Acmonian wood, had not the breezes of Argestes come again from Zeus, and with the wind they left the rounded beach, where the Themyscirian Amazons were arming for war. For they dwelt not gathered there in one city, but scattered over the land, parted into three tribes. In one part dwelt the Themyscirians, over whom at that time Hippolyta reigned, in another Lycastians, and in another the dart-throwing Cadesians. And the next day they sped on, and at nightfall they reached the land of the Calibes. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu L-A-S-I-K LASIK.com Have you been thinking about LASIK but not sure if you're a candidate? Just go to LASIK.com slash quiz and take our free candidacy quiz. In just a few minutes, you'll know if LASIK is likely right for you. And if it is, we'll connect you with experienced LASIK doctors in your area. Start your journey towards 2020 vision. Take our free candidacy quiz at LASIK.com slash quiz. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. That folk have no care for plowing with oxen or for any planting of honey-sweet fruit, nor yet do they pasture flocks in the dewy meadow, but they cleave the hard iron-bearing land and exchange their wages for daily sustenance. Never does the morn rise for them without toil, but amid bleak, sooty flames and smoke they endure heavy labor. And straightway thereafter they rounded the headland of the Genetinian Zeus, and sped safely past the land of the Tibarini. Here, when wives bring forth children to their husbands, the men lie in bed and groan with their heads close bound, but the women tend them with food and prepare childbirth baths for them. 
Next, they reached the sacred mount and the land where the Masinoki dwell amid high mountains in wooden huts, from which that people take their name. And strange are their customs and laws. Whatsoever it is right to do openly before the people or in the marketplace, all this they do in their homes. But whatever acts we perform at home, these they perform out of doors in the midst of the streets without blame. And among them is no reverence for the marriage bed, but, like swine that feed in herds, no whit abashed in others' presence, on the earth they lie with the women. Their king sits in the loftiest hut, and dispenses upright judgments to the multitude, poor wretch. For if haply he err at all in his decrees, for that day they keep him shut up in starvation." They passed them by and cleft their way with oars over against the island of Ares all day long, for at dusk the light breeze left them. At last they spied above them, hurtling through the air, one of the birds of Ares which haunt that isle. It shook its wings down over the ship as she sped on and sent against her a keen feather, and it fell on the left shoulder of good Oileus, and he dropped his oar from his hands at the sudden blow, and his comrades marveled at the sight of the winged bolt. And Erebotes from his seat hard by drew out the feather and bound up the wound when he had loosed the strap hanging from his own sword sheath. And besides the first, another bird appeared, swooping down. But the hero Clytius, son of Eurytus, for he bent his curved bow and sped a swift arrow against the bird, struck it, and it whirled round and fell close to the ship. And to them spoke Amphidamus, son of Aelius. The island of Ares is near us. You know it yourselves now that you have seen these birds. But little will arrows avail us, I trow, for landing. But let us contrive some other device to help us. If you intend to land, bearing in mind the injunction of Phineas, for not even could Heracles, when he came to Arcadia, drive away with bow and arrow the birds that swam on the Stymphalian lake. I saw it myself, but he shook in his hand a rattle of bronze and made a loud clatter as he stood upon a lofty peak, and the birds fled far off, screeching in bewildered fear. Wherefore, now too, let us contrive some such device, and I myself will speak, having pondered the matter beforehand. Set on your heads your helmets of lofty crest, then half row by turns, and half fence the ship about with polished spears and shields. Then all together raise a mighty shout, so that the birds might be scared by the unwanted din, the nodding crest and the uplifted spears on high. And if we reach the island itself, then make mighty noise with the clashing of shields. Thus he spoke, and the helpful device pleased all. And on their heads they placed helmets of bronze gleaming terribly, and on the blood-red crests were tossing. And half of them rowed in turn, and the rest covered the ships with spears and shields. And as when a man roofs over a house with tiles, to be an ornament of his home and a defense against rain, and one fits firmly into another, each after each, so they roofed over the ship with their shields, locking them together. And as a din arises from a warrior host of men sweeping on when lines of battle meet, such a shout rose upward from the ship into the air. 
Now they saw none of the birds yet, but when they touched the island and clashed upon their shields, then the birds in countless numbers rose in flight hither and thither. And as when the son of Kronos sends from the clouds a dense hailstorm on city and houses, and the people who dwell beneath hear the din above the roof and sit quietly, since the stormy season has not come upon them unawares, but they have first made strong their roofs. So the birds sent against the heroes a thick shower of feather shafts as they darted over the sea to the mountains of the land opposite. What then was the purpose of Phineas in bidding the divine band of heroes land there? Or what kind of help was about to meet their desire? The sons of Phrixus were faring towards the city of Orchomenus from Aia, coming from Kaiti and Aetes, on board a Colchian ship, to win the boundless wealth of their father. For he, when dying, had enjoined this journey upon them. And lo, on that day they were very near that island. But Zeus had impelled the north's wind might to blow, marking by rain the moist path of Arcturus. And all day long he was stirring the leaves upon the mountains, breathing gently upon the topmost sprays. But at night he rushed upon the sea with monstrous force, and with his shrieking blasts uplifted the surge, and a dark mist covered the heavens, nor did the bright stars anywhere appear from among the clouds, but a murky gloom brooded all around. And so the sons of Phrixus, drenched and trembling in fear of a horrible doom, were borne along by the waves helplessly. And the force of the wind had snatched away their sails and shattered into the hull, tossed as it was by the breakers. And hereupon by heaven's prompting those four clutched a huge beam, one of many that were scattered about, held together by sharp bolts, when the ship broke to pieces. And on to that island the waves and the blasts of wind bore the men in their distress within a little of death, and straightway a mighty rain burst forth and rained upon the sea and the island and all the country opposite the land where the arrogant Masinuki dwell. And the sweep of the waves hurled the sons of Phrixus together with their massy beam upon the beach of the island in the murky night. And the floods of rain from Zeus ceased at sunrise, and soon the two bands drew near and met each other, and Argus spoke first. We beseech you by Zeus the Beholder, whoever you are, to be kindly and to help us in our need, for fierce tempests falling on the sea have shattered all the timbers of the crazy ship in which we were cleaving our path on business bent. Wherefore we entreat you, if haply you will listen, to grant us just a covering for our bodies and to pity and succour men in misfortune, your equals in age." O oh, reverend suppliants and strangers, for Zeus's sake, the god of strangers and suppliants, to Zeus belong both suppliants and strangers, and his eye, methinks, beholds even us. And in reply the son of Aeson prudently questioned him, deeming that the prophecies of Phineas were being fulfilled. All these things will we straightway grant you with right good will. 
But come, tell me truly in what country you dwell, and what business bids you sail across the sea, and tell me your own glorious names and lineage. And him Argus, helpless in his evil plight, addressed. That one, Phrixus and Aeolid, from Aia, from Hellas, you yourselves have clearly heard ere this, I trow. Phrixus, who came to the city of Aetes, bestriding a ram, which Hermes had made all gold, and the fleece you may see even now. The ram, at its own prompting, he then sacrificed to Zeus, son of Kronos above all, the god of fugitives. And him did Aetes receive in his palace, and with gladness of heart gave him his daughter Chalciope in marriage without gifts of wooing. From those two are we sprung. But Phrixus died at last, an aged man, in the home of Aetes, and we, giving heed to our father's behests, are journeying to Orchimenus to take the possessions of Athamas. And if thou dost desire to learn our names, this is Caetiserus, this is Frontis, and this is Melas, and me you may call Argus. Thus he spoke, and the chieftains rejoiced at the meeting, and tended them much marvelling. And Jason again in turn replied, as was fitting with these words. Surely you are our kinsmen on my father's side, and you pray that with kindly hearts we succour your evil plight. For Cretheus and Athamas were brothers. I am the grandson of Cretheus, and with these comrades here I am journeying from that same Hellas to the city of Aetes. But of these things we will converse hereafter. And do you first put clothing upon you. By heaven's devising, I ween, here you have come to my hands in your sore need. He spoke, and out of the ship gave them raiment to put on. Then, altogether, they went to the temple of Ares to offer sacrifice of sheep, and in haste they stood round the altar, which was outside the roofless temple, an altar built of pebbles. Within a black stone stood fixed, a sacred thing, to which of yore the Amazons all used to pray. Nor was it lawful for them, when they came from the opposite coast, to burn on this altar offerings of sheep and oxen, but they used to slay horses, which they kept in great herds. Now, when they had sacrificed and eaten the feast prepared, then Aeson's son spoke among them, and thus began. Zeus's self, I ween, beholds everything, nor do we men escape his eye, we that be God-fearing and just. For as he rescued your father from the hands of murderous stepdam and gave him measureless wealth behind, and gave him measureless wealth besides, even so hath he saved you harmless from the baleful storm. And on board this ship you may sail hither and thither where you will, whether to Aia or to the wealthy city of the divine Orthomenus. For our ship Athena built, and with axe of bronze cut her timbers near the crest of Pelion, and with the goddess wrought Argus." But yours the fierce surge hath shattered, before you came nigh to the rocks which all day long clashed together in the straits of the sea. But come, be yourselves our helpers, for we are eager to bring to Hellas the golden fleece, and guide us on our voyage, for I go to atone for the intended sacrifice of Phrixus, the cause of Zeus's wrath against the sons of Aeolus. He spoke with soothing words. But horror seized them when they heard, for they deemed that they would not find Aetes friendly if they desired to take away the ram's fleece. 
and Argus spoke as follows, vexed that they should busy themselves with such a quest. My friends, our strength, so far as it avails, shall never cease to help you, not one whit, when need shall come. But Aetes is terribly armed with deadly ruthlessness. Wherefore exceedingly do I dread this voyage? And he boasts himself to be the son of Helios, and all round dwell countless tribes of Colchians, and he might match himself with Ares in his dread war cry, and dread war cry, and giant strength. Nay, to seize the fleece in spite of Aetes is no easy task. So huge a serpent keeps guard round and about it, deathless and sleepless, which earth herself brought forth on the sides of the Caucasus, by the rock of Typhion, where Typhion, they say, smitten by the bolt of Zeus, son of Kronos, when he lifted against the god his sturdy hands, dropped from his head hot gore. And in such plight he reached the mountains and plains of Nyssa, where to this day he lies whelmed beneath the waters of the Serbonian lake. Thus he spoke, and straightway many a cheek grew pale when they heard of so mighty an adventure. But quickly Peleus answered with cheering words and spoke. Be not so fearful in spirit, my good friend, for we are not so lacking in prowess as to be no match for Aetes to try his strength with arms, but I deem that we too are cunning in war, we that go thither near akin to the blood of the blessed gods. Wherefore, if he will not grant us the fleece of gold for friendship's sake, the tribes of the Colchians will not avail him, I ween. Thus they addressed each other in turn, until again, satisfied with their feast, they turned to rest. And when they rose at dawn, a gentle breeze was blowing, and they raised the sails, which strained to the rush of the wind, and quickly they left behind the island of Ares. And at nightfall they came to the island of Philira, where Cronos, son of Uranos, what time in Olympus he reigned over the Titans, and Zeus was yet being nurtured in a Cretan cave by the Carites of Ida, lay beside Philira, when he had deceived Rhea. And the goddess found them in the midst of their dalliance, and Cronos leapt up from the couch with a rush in the form of a steed with flowing mane, but Ocean's daughter, Philira, in shame, left the spot and those haunts, and came to the long Pelasgian ridges, where by her union with the transfigured deity, she brought forth huge Chiron, half like a horse, half like a god." Thence they sailed on, past the Macrones and the far-stretching land of the Bekiri and the overweening Sapiris, and after them the Beziris, forever forward they clave their way, quickly borne by the gentle breeze. And lo, as they sped on, a deep gulf of the sea was opened, and lo, the steep crags of the Caucasian mountains rose up, where with his limbs bound upon the hard rocks by galling fetters of bronze, Prometheus, fed with his liver an eagle that ever rushed back to its prey. High above the ship had even they saw it flying with a loud whirr near the clouds, and yet it shook all the sails with the fanning of those huge wings. For it had not the form of a bird of the air, but kept poising its long wing feathers like polished oars. 
and not long after they heard the bitter cry of Prometheus as his liver was being torn away, and the air rang with his screams until they marked the ravening eagle rushing back from the mountain on this self-same track. And at night, by the scale of Argus, they reached broad-flowing Phasis and the utmost born of the sea. And straightway they let down the sails and the yardarm and stowed them inside the hollow mast crutch, and at once they lowered the mast itself till it lay along, and quickly with oars they entered the mighty stream of the river, and round the prow the water surged as it gave them way. And on their left hand they had lofty Caucasus and the Chitean city of Aya, and on the other side of the plain of Ares and the sacred grove of that god, where the serpent was keeping watch and ward over the fleece as it hung on the leafy branches of an oak. And Aeson's son himself from a golden goblet poured into the river libations of honey and pure wine to earth and to the gods of the country and to the souls of dead heroes. And he besought them of their grace to give kindly aid, and to welcome their ship's hawsers with favorable omen. And straightway Ancaius spoke these words. We have reached the Colchian land and the stream of Phasis, and it is time for us to take counsel whether we shall make trial of Aetes with soft words, or an attempt of another kind shall be fitting. Thus he spoke, and by the advice of Argus, Jason bade them enter a shaded backwater, and let the ship ride at anchor offshore. And it was near at hand in their course, and, and there they passed the night, and soon the dawn appeared to their expectant eyes. Oh, nerds, that uh, was quite the last chunk of a single book of a story. I feel like I've never said so many words so quickly. That doesn't make any sense. But truly, I think you understand what I mean, because that was quite an episode. Um, anyway, I mean, honestly, not all that much happened. There's lots of little stops along the way, uh, weird moments, some judgment of foreigners, uh, lovely things like that. But in the end, we're finally there. We're on Colchis. The craziness is about to begin. Medea, Aetes, the Golden Fleece, the Serpent. Oh, there's good stuff to come. Thank you all so much for listening. These readings are quite fun, and I hope you're enjoying them. Um, it's just a nice little extra thing to do. That said, I have so many conversations that have already been recorded, that are about to be recorded, that are lined up for all of you. So lots more of those incoming as well. Ugh, you're all the best. Thank you. I am Liv and I love this shit. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. 
Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have you been thinking about LASIK but not sure if you're a candidate? Just go to LASIK.com slash quiz and take our free candidacy quiz. In just a few minutes, you'll know if LASIK is likely right for you. And if it is, we'll connect you with experienced LASIK doctors in your area. Start your journey towards 2020 vision. Take our free candidacy quiz at LASIK.com slash quiz. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org.